what I'd like to do is first start with something that is not John. Um, and it's all David's fault, actually. And he doesn't even realize it's his fault, but he will laugh at this. So um, you last week, we had a really good discussion. I had a number of guys comment and just some of the things you were talking about with um, with knowledge and just, you know, knowing Jesus and stuff that we were talking about last week. Yeah, how it came up last week was... Um, Kenny was talking about his mother, and he was at their bedside, and um, he didn't know whether she believed or not, mm-hmm. but what he told her, what she told him, was that she loved the Lord, and she had faith. But my question is, is there, if you read through the Bible, and you firmly believe that, is that faith, or what's the difference between belief and faith? People accept this stuff on faith, but if you really believe it, it's more than faith, right? Well, so in Scripture, again, for the Bible, it's exactly the same word. Belief and faith means pistis. And probably, don't get into all this, but the, the, the way that word is most often used in the Greek culture at the time of Jesus, and, and probably the main meaning... Not everywhere you see the word in the New Testament, but one of the main meanings of it is allegiance. It probably comes closest. So when you think of faith, it's not just about, oh, I have faith, or I have faith in this, or I have, you know, or I have some type of, like, intellectual faith that I know that, you know, that light is on on over there. Faith is about, in, in Scripture with Jesus, faith is about allegiance to a person. And here, it's a, who will you place your allegiance to? Who do you follow? Okay, who is your commander? Who is your Lord? And so when it says, when Jesus talks about placing his placing your faith in him, saying, do you believe? He's really saying, are you placing your allegiance and deciding, I am your Lord and Savior, the one who is God? Okay, um, so... So really, in Scripture, there is no difference between belief and faith, and it's really the exact same word. I mean, if you really believe it, it's not faith. It's just, you believe it. Yeah. I mean, in the world usage, we use belief, and we use faith, and we use all, you know, I I believe this is going to happen, I hope this is going to happen, I have faith this is going to happen. In Scripture, it is about allegiance to a person, and here specifically, that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, so I think so. the way that you're using faith is is the way that people use the word faith today, which is which is a watered-down version and is not what the Bible means by faith. So when they say, you that. have faith, what they, what they really mean is blind faith, Yeah. right? Like, yeah, their definition of faith is believing without a reason. Right. That's a good way to put it. So that is that is like the definition that's been forced upon the upon the word faith by the world, but that is not the definition that we use. That that's not the original context. That's not the original definition. But it but you can see the power of that, the power of defining it that way for those types of people is that they don't have to really confront it now. Now it's just like, hey, you don't have to make a your, decision about it. You so can have decision. your your faith. What they right. mean is blind faith, like to believe what you have, you know, for no reason, and I'll believe in science, or they'll say something that would trump it, or you yeah. believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and it's not about what's true, or, you know, some of the evidence that we're talking about right. tonight. Well, you can believe and have faith, you still have questions, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not like the absence of any doubt or I was thinking about that this week and, and I was thinking about historians and how they write history books. Mm-hmm. You know, they go in and get the documentation and this is a confirmed document, this is a confirmed document, this is a confirmed person, and it comes out to be fact. Mm-hmm. So during the Pentecost, there are five hundred people that saw at, well, at least five hundred so people saw fact? the risen Lord. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so they call that like scholarly consensus, right? So if you have multiple different historians, everyone's got a different view. Rare, rarely is it ever the case that everyone agrees on a particular thing. But if you can say it's scholarly consensus, then you can say the vast majority of historians that study this particular topic agree that this is true, right? Or this is most likely true. Because we're, we're looking at history and it's kind of like prob- what probably happened or what do we have evidence to prove. And so if you can say, you know, if there's something biblical, right, as a historical fact, you can say the scholarly consensus is that this event took place. Whether or not they believe the Bible is like inspired by God, whether or not they're atheists, like they still, they still agree, yes, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, lived and he died like a Roman crucifixion like basically every historian agrees like that's the scholarly and you can say I believe that and that's a that's something scholars look at but ultimately scripturally again it is not just about the head and some proof that you can prove it ultimately is with the spirit working inside of you convicting you saying Jesus is Lord and you say, I'm, I'm following him. I'm putting my faith in him. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you can say that it's a fact. Though. Yeah. You can't, there are certain it's, things to that you, you can yeah, say certain. that that's a fact, even by the most sec, uh, skeptical historians yeah. agree that certain things in the Bible are a fact. Now, no, us as Christians. Yeah. So let's, Jesus, so. Jesus didn't have to live. He was crucified. Why can't they go just a little bit further and say, there's 500, I mean, there in these 40 days, mm-hmm. yeah. there's a lot of facts in there that Jesus was here and he was teaching. Right. So, so. No consensus on that? So, so they're, they're, well, yeah, so, they're. So I, so I brought this book, right? The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. And Gary Habermas, who is one of the, the leading, leading historians on the resurrection, basically has something that he calls the quintet of facts, like five facts or four plus one. So these five things, there's scholarly consensus on. Historians agree that these things are all true. And so one of them is that Jesus died of crucifixion. And then the reasons why, it's because it's it's written by, by secular historians like Josephus and Tacitus and, and different historians. The second thing is that Jesus' disciples believe that he rose and appeared to them. Mm-hmm. So they'll grant that that the disciples believe this, right? They won't say that it actually happened. They'll say that, because that would be tantamount to, to being a, a, a Christian, right? To say, yes, Jesus actually rose from the dead. So they'll say that the disciples believe that he rose from the dead and and. You know, then what can you say about that? Were they lying? No, they don't think they were lying. They genuinely believe this. Well, how can we know that? You know, because if they were, you know, if they had 
created this story, we would expect X, Y, and Z. And the way that they told the story, they wouldn't include some embarrassing facts. They wouldn't, you know. Yeah, so let's not, I don't want to get too much into yeah, all that. Okay. So, because I want to, <laughs> I'm trying to. Yeah, but it is fascinating. Yeah, it is. But, but yeah, we will get into that at some point. Another, another one is the empty tomb. Right. So they'll agree that the tomb was empty. Right, so there's these certain... But they won't necessarily agree to Right, so uh, I'm trying to have some naturalistic <laughs> explanation, right. and the naturalist, naturalistic explanations yeah. fail. Yeah, right. okay, so Eric, and then I want to... <clears throat> I just want to throw a perspective on this. When we're kids in school, when we stand up and we pledge allegiance to the flag, right. we're pledging allegiance to our country. That, that the flag represents. <coughs> the true test of the authenticity of the pledge is that it will cost you something. And if it doesn't cost you anything, then it's not a pledge. And so, what's the cost of believing that? And that is that you're required to change the way you do things in your life. Yeah. And there's a mammoth change that happens and your priorities turn a little bit different, and it costs you something because it costs you giving up the juice of life that you're partaking in and saying, I need more discipline, and that's the cost. And see, that's where the rubber meets the road is, is that unless it costs you something, the pledge is meaningful. Yeah. No, so which less. leads right into, so but you mentioned that last week and goes with what you just said. So... Tom, <laughs> we're now at you. Um, I'll let him tell you, but he was... So as a result stuff. of yeah. your questions last week, a little different than you just articulated, um, you, I thought you were saying, and I think you did say, yeah. we're, can, can we achieve salvation through knowledge? And we use the, the image of a tree on branches of the tree. How far up before you click? How far up before a guy goes, yeah, you're in? And, and then we <clears throat> discussed that some, and it's, it's not that. It's, it's, it's faith. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was reading Oswald Chambers this week, and I stumbled upon October 10th. And I sent it to Greg saying, you know, this is interesting in light of what was asked, what David was talking about, because... He, he has a completely different perspective of going up the, the knowledge tree. He says it's not that, and it's, it's actually not even faith. It's something else. And Greg thought that it was yeah. worthwhile to pass yeah. it around. So this brings up a little, if this will, oh, I just want to sort of see Almost you guys, will read it. And, and cutting to the, have a discussion, because it does go a little bit even to what all you guys were talking about. Cutting to the chase yeah. of the theme of what he's writing here. Is the word of it's obedience. And he articulates it very well in, in this in the, on this page, you know, much better than any of us could. And so it's great we're gonna read it. Um, but I thought it, it's also interesting because we never talk about this in here. This is this is kind of new. For me it is anyway. You think, well, my salvation is dependent on my obedience. That means, obedience to the Word of God, that means you do not sin. You don't sin. Well, but if it, if, but, but that's works. So let's Maybe. read this. Well, let's just read, so yeah. So, let's, so let's read this. Yeah. I, I, I love this group. Yeah, so, you what? What is it? 
what did you say? Salvation. What did you say? Salvation is what? Through obedience. Yeah, that's yeah. theorem one Yeah. So let's just read this. I just want to see if it's just just a discussion. Just see what yeah, it sparks and, in and you. And this guys. is a um, parenthetical. So let's yeah. you know, five minutes on this, and then we're back to yeah. our study. Yeah. Or we might go a little longer, but that's yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll see. How so, it interesting, it starts off, whereby shall I know? So, it's like, how do I know I'm saved? Or how, how do I know this is true? <clears throat> so, that's his lead-in, and then the scripture is, Thank thee, Father, because thou hast hid these things from the wise, and, <laughs> and hit, has revealed them unto babes. So much for knowledge. Because he's saying, you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent. The guys that think they know it, God's going, no, I'm revealing it to the babes. So this is Oswald Chambers, and you guys know who he was. He was a theologian in, the, in World War I, <coughs> British uh, missionary. Okay, in spiritual relationship, we do not grow step by step. We are either there or we are not. God does not cleanse us more and more from sin. But when we are in the light, <coughs> walking in the light, we are cleansed from all sin. It is a question of obedience, and instantly the relationship is perfected. Turn away from one, for one second out of obedience, and darkness and death are at work at once. All God's revelations are sealed until they are open to us by obedience. You will never get them open by philosophy or thinking. Immediately you obey, a flash of light comes. Let God's truth work in you by soaking in it, not by worrying into it. The only way you can get to know is to stop trying to find out and by being born again. The only way you can get to know it, to know is to stop trying to find out and by being born again. Obey God in the thing he shows you and instantly the next thing is opened up. We read tomes in his books on the work of the Holy Spirit. When one five minutes of drastic obedience would make all things as clear as the sun beam. I suppose I shall understand these things someday, you would say yourself. You can understand them now. It is not study that does it, but obedience. The tiniest fragment of obedience and heaven opens, and the profoundest truth of God are yours straight away. God will never reveal more truth about himself until you have obeyed what you know already. Beware of becoming wise and prudent. So it costs you something. Yeah, and I was going to say. Exactly. And it, so, yeah. kind of coincidentally, on top of that, I was telling Greg just now, because he just sprung this on me, we're going to do this. I was in the chiropractor's office waiting today, and I'm reading First John. And I, I marked a few passages, and they relate to this. So, I'll just read it real quick. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. Whoever keeps his word would be obedient. Yeah. Whoever is obedient... In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Skip a few. No one who abides in him sins. Really? No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Obedience. You're not sinning. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Obey. Keep his commandments. And lastly, and the one who keeps his commandments abides in him. That's obedience. And he in him. And we know this, he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. Under ten minutes. 
Don't ask my question. Does it have obedience? I understand. We probably all have that. But did it, it say stop trying to find knowledge? More? I, yeah, I don't have my glasses. I think, so there's a, there's a contrast. Well, think of it this, think of, I have to think of an example. Think of, you know, what we just read, and a simple, brand new Christian goes, oh, oh okay, I get it. I'm going to stop, and he does it. I'm going to stop looking at porn. <coughs> I'm going to stop. No, that's not, that's not the point. Right? No. That's, not uh, that's my point. Okay. It's because he's being obedient. And he's, he has no knowledge whatsoever, and he's not trying to attain knowledge. But the, the scholar, let's say, and the one who's very diligent in seeking the Word of God and understanding it, if he has a minor but habitual sin, he's out. He's, 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 he doesn't know anything. He's living in darkness. He's lost his knowledge, and he's lost his blessings. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, but you, 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 you said, scholar, one more time. Uh, I can't remember. Maybe somebody else can pick it up. So well, I is think that is it a, is it an obedience in omission as well as commission? So some of the obedience you're talking about is abstaining from sin, but there's much to do with obedience of the call of Jesus on the things to do, yeah. not just so. If sin. you don't do the things that you're supposed to, but you try to just go for the sin. Like, I'm not going to do a sin versus I'm sinning by not doing good. You know, does that also count? I don't know. Because he you're, says you're in, the tiniest yes, yeah. Yeah. in the tiniest fragment of obedience, that comes with God's word, right. and you just follow through but, with it. You know, but, but when the people arrive in heaven, they say, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, why? It wasn't because of the sins they committed. It was because of what they, they never did. listened. Yeah. Because of the things that they did. I think the example of that scripture oh, is they did not have a relationship. <laughs> 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 Lord, Lord, they were lying. Exactly. Well, You're right. Exactly what, what he said. There's a, there's a big contrast. Okay? You take the Pharisees. Take Jesus. The day Jesus gets crucified. The Pharisees are telling them, crucify him. They know the entire Old Testament. Jesus knows the all entire Old Testament. Right? All his head knowledge. And they couldn't get it. Could not get it. But, the guy that's on the cross next to Jesus, he says a few words to Jesus, and Jesus says, you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, hold on. So, but you look at the, the contrast. Yeah. This guy probably lived his whole life outside of any kind of obedience, but acknowledged Jesus as the Lord. He's in heaven. These guys out here, all full of head knowledge, say crucify him. So, you've got to be careful being wise and prudent. Now think about it. If that guy next to Jesus was... At the foot of the cross, young man at the foot of the cross saying, oh my gosh, this is the Lord. Imagine how his life is going to be from that moment on that he said, he acknowledged that he is the Lord. I mean, he's now going to live the rest of his life, however long that is, 
in the light that Jesus is the Lord. He's going to have a much better life than the Pharisees that's yelling and crucifying. And I think because we've been going through John, we've been hearing Jesus say this over and over again. I mean, we want to try to dissect it everything, but it really comes down to your thing about belief and faith. It is allegiance. It is commitment. It's saying, this is now my Lord, and if he tells me to do this, I do it. I've used the illustration um, with Eric before. I, I did a sermon when I first met Eric, I think, where we were talking about this, about allegiance, and you know he was in the military. So in the military, and it actually faith is a military term. Of Allegiance is things about like military. So if you have someone who is your officer above you, you don't sit there and go, well, I want to know about this before I do what you tell me to do. I want to know about that, and maybe I'll do this, and maybe I'll do that. It's like when he says, attention, <laughs> you don't like think, and I want to know more about how I do attention. You just go, attention, because he's the one you place allegiance in. And so now we're talking about the Lord of the universe, and Jesus says, you know, if you're going to follow me, you know, obey me. All right, you see that throughout everything. Obey, obey, obey. So it's not trying to get ourselves in a discussion about, well, if this, then I lose my salvation. And, and, because then we're getting a bunch of head stuff. It's that if I have a relationship with Christ, he is Lord. And when he says <laughs> to me, stop, you stop. He says, go, you go. And so it's a relationship, though, you have with the living God that you're listening to. It's not about a bunch of knowledge. It doesn't mean we don't get knowledge and we seek and we study. It's just that you can, well, go ahead and, I mean, you just put it perfectly. We can study all we want to. Jack, if we don't have that relationship of obedience with Christ. Jack gave a, yeah. a testimony at the beginning and it was, you know, so moving. And, you know, I, let me give you a fraction of testimony. This meant a lot to me because I'm guilty and it spoke to me. I'm, um, my disobedience is lust. It's what? Lust. And it's messed up my Christian walk most of my life. And and just this dynamic that we're in the last few days, and what I stumbled upon and read, has really spoken to me, and the Lord, and the Lord just slapped me around. And and it relates. I think I think all of men are guilty of the same lust that I'm. So, do you want to be in the kingdom? Then obey him. You know, that's the simple. And then, on the knowledge thing, we read it, and I think this is really pretty cool. It's near the end. The tiniest fragment of obedience, and the heaven, heavens open, and the profoundest truths of God are yours straight away. Yeah. So, all that we're digging and searching for and discussing and scholasticism and the, we're not, I, I wasn't accessing, personally, I wasn't accessing this because I was being disobedient. So now I can, if I can live faithfully, from here on now, uh, God's going to reveal things to me. That's what this is saying. He's going to say, okay, now you're, now you're a, a faithful son. And your transparency, that you just uh, um, articulated every man's problem, or one of one of every, you're one of the boys. Um, <clears throat> your transparency shows your willingness to be obedient. Um, and and I yeah, that's really good because 
you can, God will help you if you're willing. Yeah. Because we can't do these things on our own. What, what I just heard is there's uh, a little levels of obedience. Can you agree with that? Well, I would, I would say what he's saying is maybe the opposite. There's not really levels of obedience, no, it's just either. you obey. Like so your, engin- your engineering mind really choose choose into them. You're a minutia freak. There's there's lengths of obedience, not levels. There's lengths, not levels. There's amounts. There's not. Yeah, yeah. I think I I heard this one time. I was listening to like, how do we know? Like, are we saved? If you know, as as one part of like, what happens after our, after we die? And it's like I heard some people say like, ah, if you're like. One percent in doubt that you're ninety nine percent going to hell, and this whole like thing that's pretty scary, and like trying to like get people to like, no, you can't have any doubt. And I, I don't that's know, it. like, there's, I know, like that, that doesn't seem that very like. I, I think we wrestle with this question a lot when we don't we don't really need to. And I think what what helped me as I was listening to this is that this this pastor described it as the orientation of your life to a principle. It's not no doubts. It's not. 100% obedience, if you fall off and you're gone, like, I mean, this, this all makes sense, but like, the idea of fully orienting your life and saying like, this is how I'm going to move forward in wisdom and truth and practice. This is what I'm going to do. It made kind of, for me, like, all this other stuff fall away where it's like, yeah, like, uh, like, oh, I, I erred sin by omission or sin by commit. Like, I love that, right? Like, you know, all these things and you're kind of like worrying the whole time. It's like, no, but my light is oriented to move forward in the way, like, how can I be reconcile, help people reconcile to Christ and to each other? Like that is my ministry, and that's that's my ministry. Tear everybody up. I'm gonna go like way. Yeah, more sure. Yeah. Before go, yeah. before he just tears everybody a new one, I'm gonna go way more surface level. Like, kind of what we were talking about about knowledge, and you said it perfectly having a principle towards something. Of all things, I was listening to Joe Rogan, and he had this guy on uh, Stephen C. Meyer, like world-renowned biologist, in intelligent design, like said one of the best things I've ever heard. He knows so many scientists, all atheists, just, you know, total heads just up there. He's like, these are the most naive and lost people I've ever met in my life. Like, their principle and their direction is misguided into each other rather than into something bigger than themselves. They say, oh, I believe in science. I believe in this. I believe in that. But nothing drives them into a principle of good. Nothing is higher than themselves. They are all on their own soapbox, all on their own pedestal. And David, you said it perfectly last week, which is getting me on this train about how you were subbing and you were like looking at the lesson plan. And you're like, dude, you're kidding me. And then what Eric said about how you're in school and you're pledging allegiance to something. Isn't it funny how we teach kids or in school, they teach them, oh yeah, Moses, you know, led the Jews out of Egypt and all this stuff, part of the Red Sea. Oh no, 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 no. But you don't really believe Oh yeah, Jesus of Nazareth was totally a person, did all these things, totally, and then they just stop right there. They stop right when it gets good. Right when it's about to have deeper meaning, it stops. And that's what, you know, the scientists, because they can't explain it, they can't do it. Yeah, yeah. So, Um, that was my take. Now you can refer to it. Jeff said it really well about a year ago. He said, your core values have to be represented in your sense of purpose. And that's basically what you said. Mm-hmm. Eric, you were going to say something? Picking up where Greg left off, 
willful obedience to authority. That's the key words. And so, what causes this difficulty to willfully choose to be obedient to authority? I would suggest it's our pride. And all men identify with their job, and when you get really good at your job, then you have a high self-esteem, and you really are somebody, and you're making money, and you got the cars, and you got all the, the trimmings. But what that is, is that you're telling Jesus to move over on the throne because you now deserve a seat there. And it's pride that undermines the willful obedience to Christ, which is the, the path. In, in, yeah. in, that, in that regard, what you said, one of the things I always taught my students, and you'll be, it's absolutely essential you fail. You cannot, you cannot be masterful unless you fail. And you're talking about something that we, that is a common thing we all deal with. How do I look at this woman? How do I do? Blah, blah, blah. But, and you're going to fail. And are you going to feel guilty? No, you're going to center back on because of what Andrew said. It's the, it's the force of your will to do righteously. Failure is a learning exercise. Pardon? Failure is a learning exercise. It, it's absolutely essential. You've got to, if you, if you don't fail, you're not stepping out. You're, you're, Hiding. What's interesting is <coughs> the word failure for a non-believer is the same as disobedience. In our, I mean, they. You know what I'm saying? No. A non-believer doesn't think he's failed. That's that's what I'm trying to yeah. say. Did, what? Non-believer doesn't think he's failed. He has no knowledge. Of he has no knowledge has of no obedience. obedience. So when he goes astray, he just he doesn't think he's failing. Yeah. Sure. There's no principle. No, uh, no focus. Eric has a really good saying when you're looking at a woman like that. He says, it's somebody else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> my, dad had, my dad had one similar. He said, a beautiful girl is a paper bag full of problems. <laughs> Was it you that gave me the thing about the kangaroo? No. This cartoon so, about no, me. I gave it to you. You gave it to me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, anyway, so... Good discussion. So this, this is, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So before, um, so I don't have to wait to the end for this. So let me tell you guys what I'm thinking the plan is to start getting you guys sort of prepared for the next month, month and a half. So we are coming to the end of John, all right? And we are going to go into Romans next. So that I, that I can tell you. All right, we are going to hit on 19 tonight. Um, so here's, well, so here's my thought is we would be doing like 19 tonight, 20 next week, 21 the following week, which is our last chapter of John. Then what I'd like to do is I'd like all of us to get together. I'd like to serve you guys all dinner. For a Tuesday night. If you remember, we did this a long, long time ago. Those for, you were here, I think it was when we were done with Isaiah. It's just have dinner uh, together. We haven't done that for a long time. We've been in John now for over, well over a year. Is So to get together on Tuesday night, we'll meet at the Fellowship Hall. I will 
take care of serving you guys. Um, so I'm right now trying to debate about whether that's going to be on the 10th or the 17th of October. Um, so let me just ask, is there anybody, I mean, I know Bruce <laughs> can't be here on the 10th. Is there anybody who, if I say that date, October 10th or 17th, is there anybody who can't be here for those days? And just so you know, for you guys who haven't been here as far as maybe you just started or whatever with, um, or been here a few times with John, it doesn't matter. You're invited. I mean, it's for everybody because it's all a sort of way of saying, okay, now we're, we're going to eat and now we're going to go into Romans, um, which is what we're going to do next. So just it's our transition. Curious. Yes, exactly. So just question, is there any, so throwing those two dates out, the 10th, Tuesdays, 10th, 17th, is there anybody who can't be here on those days? Okay, so that, that's a good answer. <laughs> I like that answer. Then, what's going to happen, whatever we decide, so I'm not going to necessarily make a decision right now, then what's going to happen is whenever we have that dinner, so let's just say it's on the 17th, for example, if we did that, then we are going to take off two weeks, and we're going to start Romans on the first, no matter what, we're going to start Romans on the first Tuesday of November, Okay. So we might, so I want to take a couple weeks off. Be blunt, I need that time off. I don't take time off early with our Tuesday night group, except for when we make these transitions. I both need that time off. <laughs> I want that time off, but also I really want to use that time off because I need to do some more work on Romans before we get started on Romans. I want to get myself into that. Okay. That is so, time off. Well, that is for me. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, so anyway, that's sort of my thought and plan right now is that we will take a couple weeks off somewhere at the end of October and then we'll just start right back up for sure on God willing, uh, as you say, for, on November, on the November 7th. Okay. Everyone good with that? And I'll tell you more as we go along. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, so what I want to do tonight is 19 is a fairly long chapter, but I mean, this is, this is the crucifixion of Jesus. As it's coming up, right where we left off last week, you know, Pilate, he's been arrested, he's had some conversations with Pilate, and now we're going to hit the chapter where he, where the crucifixion takes place. To prepare for that, my question to all of you before we actually hear it and read it, is I want you to tell me, as many as you can, I want you to just tell me, Something you know about the crucifixion. Something that happens within these next, you know, sort of at the crucifixion, you know, right afterwards, right before it. What do you know about it? Just anything about An the earthquake. crucifixion. So I just want to hear what you know before we actually <laughs> read it to see, okay, what are you learning and seeing in the crucifixion you might not have heard before? Um, plane crash. A plane crash. Okay. I don't get that. He's a pilot. And joking. Yeah. Oh, joke. So just throw out. I mean, if you tell me things you just when you think of the crucifixion about what happened then, just tell me something about it, and I just want to hear from as many of you as I can about that. So remember, Jesus said he was thirsty, and they gave him sour wine. Okay. Jesus said he was thirsty, and they gave him sour wine. Right? You guys got that? Okay, good. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Stuff like that. Well, Tell me what, more. What was the reason for water and blood coming out? 
Tom, that, don't ask a question. Tell me what it says. Oh, it says <laughs> water and blood. When he, after he asked for the, he got the the, the uh, sour wine. A Roman um, soldier pierced his side, and water and blood came out. Okay. He was dead, and to ensure that he was dead, because they wanted to take him over uh, down before the Passover, they stuck the spear in his side, and water and blood came out. And, the, and you know, medical doctors today will tell you, you know, they know what that condition is, and that he was definitely dead, you know, at that time. Okay, because so I don't want to get too much into it. I don't want to get, yeah. So just keep going around. I don't want to get too much into, like, discussing it. I just want to hear... <laughs> hear about it, okay? Jesus is suffering. Okay, Jesus Jesus is suffering, all right? Okay. The sign, the sign they nailed over his head that said I-N-R-I, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, kind of in a mocking Excellent. sense. Excellent. Okay, very good. All right, keep they, going. They did not to... break his legs. Okay, they did not break his legs, all right? They cast lots for his garment. Okay. Well, I didn't hear that one. Oh, they cast lots, like they rolled dice for his garment, or... Tombs broke open, and holy people were raised to life that were previously dead. All right. John was there with Mary Magdalene. Okay. The curtain was rent from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. All right, good. The darkness came over the area. At the time of his death. Hmm. All right. Jesus said seven statements while he was on the cross. Okay. Keep going. Just he had zero <laughs> bones broken in his body. I think somebody already said that. They draped him with a royal garment. You draped him with what? Royal garment. It was a way of mocking him. Oh, way too. Yeah. Keep going. They slapped him, mocked him, spit on him. It almost, it's such a thing to I cringe at when I, I hear they slapped him. Crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He felt forsaken. This is good, guys. Keep going. He saved a non-believer that became a believer. Okay. He told the criminal next to him, will dine with me in paradise, which you alluded to earlier. Phil carrying the cross. He what? Phil carrying the cross. Okay. Simon of Cyrene picked it up and helped him. He forgave his oppressors, for they knew not what they did. Mm-hmm. He said it is finished. He asked God to forgive them. He had what? Yeah. Well, he was God. Oh. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't one of the Roman guards either healed or became Can't a believer? Can't think about these things, man. You just kind of did. Say that again. The way <laughs> one of the Roman guards was either healed or something or became a believer. Okay. There was darkness after he died. Any more? Keep going. For our sins on the cross. All right. Or he was swapped out for Barabbas, right? Mm, all right. Very good. Yes, John, to care for his mother. Do we say 39 lashes? Flood. Yeah, we drew out flood. 
He willfully fulfilled prophecy. He showed his vulnerability in the garden when he asked that the, it be taken from him. Okay. Simon of Cyrene helped him carry his cross. Mm. We got that. On, on the bright end of the room. We already got that. Pharisees, uh, they kind of jeered him when he was up there. And they basically okay. said, like, if you're, yeah, say if, he's a pro- like if you're a prophet or was, once he was speaking, they were like, hey, be quiet, let's see if he's Elijah or something. Like save the others, he can't save himself. Hmm. Hmm. Anyone else? They wrapped him in the shroud of Corinth. He told um, John, Behold your mother. And he said to Mary, Behold your son. Okay. Pilate washed his hands ceremoniously, and, and, you know, and that supposedly cast the guilt on the Jews, which has lasted throughout centuries and centuries. Of them being persecuted for the death of Christ. All right. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. Hmm. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is quoting, I think, Psalm 22. Okay. All of Psalm 22 is connecting straight to the crucifixion. Yeah, it is. That's why you pointed to it. He was very direct, even to the garden when they came for him. Who do you seek? He was direct the entire time to make himself available. Right. He didn't hide. Hmm. He didn't hide. Yeah, that's good. Okay. He rebuked Peter for cutting off Malchus's ear. He was defending others. He, when uh, that happened, he said, take me, let these others go. Yeah. He, he dismissed his spirit when he died. Hmm. Hmm. He said, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. And then he dismissed his spirit. Okay. So, we're going to read it. I'm hoping, I don't know if this is going to work, but now we're just going to read it. Um, So, go ahead and open up to John 19. Came up to him saying, 
Hail, King of the Dreams. Alright, let me stroke get start here. So, everyone there? Pilot went out uh-huh. again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find... Okay, no so I'm going to go back and start at the beginning. So here. Jesus came out, I want you to wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Why do you have a recorded guy? Because I just thought I'd do that instead of having us read. So everyone can just sort of focus on. So as we're reading through it this time, I'm going to just let him read. I want everyone to just read along. And I want you to try to find something you do not, you have not known about the crucifixion before. So is there something you're going to hear as we're reading through 19 that you go, I didn't know that. And see if there's something you can... Like pick up on this you have not picked up on before. Got that? Everyone got it? You ready? I was looking at me like, okay, great, just go. <laughs> Here we go. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, 
one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. 
So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Pilate was trying to dust his hands off four and five, six times. Was he trying to piss off the Jews? He didn't want it on him. He saw him as an innocent man. And we don't know. We don't know what's in Pilate's heart. We just took it as action. Speculating on that, I, I think Pilate did not get his way of acquitting him. So he, let's say, in our wording, would, was pissed. <coughs> the priests got their way. So he poked them in the eye to get his own back by putting that up there to annoy them. That was his motive. But God was behind it. Pilate was clearly worried about what Caesar said, and when the high priest came up and said, "There's only one king, that's Caesar." And that was kind of the tipping point, right? I mean, it kind of sounds like that's the tipping point where he was trying to let him go. Didn't think he was he's guilty of anything, but then when they kind of put it back on Pilate, "Hey, you're going to be in trouble with you know Roman law here," then it's kind of like he's like, "Okay." <laughs> And they got to pick up the phone and call Caesar. Yeah, something like He knew that. what Pilate's interest was. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pilate also had his wife pressuring him, so there must have been some some of that influence. Like, <laughs> pressuring him to crucify Jesus or let no, Jesus go? To, to, to let him go. Yeah. She had a dream. So that's always him. So one could have popped up for me in uh, verse 10 and 11, and 10 just sets it up. So Pilate asked him, speak. Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest not that I have the power to crucify thee, and have the power to release thee? And Jesus answered, and this is the longest thing he ever said to anybody, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, and here's my question, therefore he, who is he? Therefore, he that delivered me up unto thee has the greater Judas. Exactly. We've, yeah, we've, yeah, last week we talked about that it was Judas. Um, because Judas is the one who actually 
and this is the second time Jesus is sort of saying this, that, it, that the greater sin is the one who handed me over. Who handed him over to Judas? Judas handed him over to the Pharisees. To not the, to Caesar. Um, right here he's saying, the Therefore he that delivered me unto thee, meaning Pontius Pilate, has the greater sin. So who delivered him to Pontius Pilate? I think the priest did. Or if he went into the big, up there, it could be, it would be capitalized. Or it would be I think, yeah, I think though that in he ESV, is. In ESV, it says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Yeah, so who is he? Are these, are these crucifixions recorded in Roman documents? When the Roman government killed, do they actually write their name down and say, died such and such a day? I don't know. I have a minutiae on that. There's no record of Pontius Pilate existing in history. Yet. <laughs> no, but recently archaeologists <laughs> found his name um, on, a, uh, on a slab in a, an arena in like Caesarea. And it was upended. So when they took the arena apart, because he was in disrepute, apparently. The Romans wanted to wash the memory of him away, and that's maybe why he committed suicide. But anyway, they did find, in modern times, reference to Pontius Pilate. He's not in books or records, or apparently. That's interesting. What was the big deal over clothing? I guess I'm never really trying to erase it. It's a fail scripture. Well, the big thing is exactly what it says is that ultimately it was around fulfilling scripture. So all this is about a lot of the things that are happening are really to just validate scripture. And so the he there is singular. So it's, you know, they're talking about a single person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's Judas is who they're referring to because he's the one that handed them over. Judas is the one that set everything in motion. Yeah, and it's lowercase um, too. Yeah, so, so it's... It, the prayer of John singular. 17, 12 is talking about the son of destruction. Yeah, we've read that before, right? So this is just basically saying it was fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, right, exactly. All right, others. So what what do you see you haven't seen before? I, I am, hadn't seen how much space John had dedicated to this back and forth between Pilate and the Jews about the sign. Like, why, why, did, why did John spend four verses talking about that? Like, what's the significance of that? It's not just, like, talk about history. He had, like, a reason to record this. I don't know what that is. I hadn't noticed that before. About the, actually, you mean about the, about From the eight, king eight, of the Jews? 18 to 22. Yeah, yeah. First of all, uh, or no, yeah. sorry, 19 to 22. Pilate wrote the inscription. Man, they just read this, and they didn't uh-huh. like it, so they went to this back, and he's probably answered, nope. And I'm like, oh, it's just three, like, why? There's, like, there's the main de- verses dedicated to that is the death of Jesus. Like, in that section. Symbolism. Uh, uh, you said it. And it was uh, written you, for every tongue to understand as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, what, what, is, what is my takeaway for that, though? Is what, I guess I just had noticed that. Yeah, Because no, it was yeah, a significant good. occurrence. Yeah. In, in, the, in all the reproductions, they have I-N-R-I. But this says differently that there were it was written in three languages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that means, but it's, I mean, all the gospels are coming at sort of different places. As we learned with John at the very beginning, John is written after all the other gospels, 
John specifically <clears throat> filling in a lot of stuff that was not written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, so he's mm-hmm. he's giving his his own first hand. Did he know that? This. Hmm? Did he know that that they hadn't written? Yeah, he would have known that. Yeah, he would have known that he that those were already in circulation, the other gospels at that point. We think John wrote this somewhere later. Um, later in summarizing it, do you think? And he no, was there. But summarize, he was there. John was there. So John really has a very unique perspective, and we get the idea that probably Jesus maybe even commissioned him in a sense and says, you know, I want you to be able to write about these things. Uh, Because he has a lot of stuff that none of the other Gospels have. I mean, the whole upper room discourse. How about this on what Andy's saying? Um, They intimidated, the priests intimidated Pontius Pilate by saying, well, we have no king but Caesar. So it's like, you know, you better back off, because He's the, the true God. And he did. He backed off. He said, okay, crucify him. But then he had the last word. What did he put up there? The king. Don't call him, you know, we have no king but Caesar. And Pontius Pilate, he had some colonies here. Yeah. <laughs> he said, okay, put king of the Jews up there. You can't book it. We'll report you to Caesar if you put king of the Jews up there. Do it. Try it. I wrote what I wrote. I'm not changing. Yeah, but I guess to be to be I think it's like, cool. Right? I like John wasn't writing a book of history, right? John is writing a book so that we might believe and like the higher things about that, like yeah, it, it, like, that's that's interesting history. Like why do I care? It's like, maybe, maybe, like, I don't know. We don't have to spend time on that. But just why? I think I mean for me. So since you guys are on that one, I think the thing is. So I read this today, which sort of made me think about just doing what we're doing right now. Is because I had not seen, um, I had not seen right where we're at. Which is to me, it sort of even goes through a whole uh, discussion about obedience earlier. So in verse 21 again, so the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But now listen what they want him to what they want him to write. This man said, I am the king of the Jews. What a humongous difference. It's sort of like what we do with Jesus. It's like, do we say, Well, you know, Tom believes that Jesus is the Lord. Okay, not Jesus is Lord. I mean, huge difference. Okay, are you going to believe that He is your Lord? Or are you going to say, "Well, other people say that," which means you no commitment at all. You know, it's it's what someone else believes, not what you believe. But there's a they reason why it wasn't written that way because Jesus never did say, "Yeah, I am King of the Jews." He said, "I am what you say I am." Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I am. He says, I am. But the high priest wanted the people to know what he said, not what he was. But he never did yeah. say it. Yeah. That's the truth. Never happened. So, others, so what else did you, so other people, what do you see that you have not, or that you not seen before? Well, in 19, it says, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. So, does that mean that the Pharisees had written a different inscription that they wanted there? No, they wanted That's interesting. I've not even seen that before. Pilate also wrote, oh, huh. Jesus of Nazareth. That's, uh, that's a good observation there. Well, they also write in the, tra- in the translations and also could be in addition, right? It doesn't necessarily mean there was something else different. It could have been, in addition, this is what Pilate did. Oh. Right, so they make the transition. Which he leads to the, the right, possibility exactly. that Pilate did believe. 
Yeah, I know. That's what we don't. Yeah, we don't know. We don't so know. Uh, we clearly had doubt that I'm, I'm, you know, he didn't I'm feel just, like. He <laughs> doesn't want to crucify God. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm interested in, in what people, uh, what your guys' opinion on verse nine, when Pilate says, "Where are you from?" Because it's the context was the Jews were telling him because he made himself, he has made himself the son of God. And then when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. Yeah. So then he asked Jesus, where are you from? So why did he ask Jesus where he was from? Because he what was, do you guys think? He was on the edge. He wasn't sure. Pilate, he didn't want to be crucifying God. Okay. Well, so you think and, all that far. Yeah, and last week when we read 18... Everybody was aware of the miracles. How could you not be aware of the miracles? Well, it wasn't like there was 20 million people living in that area. I don't know. I, I, think, I, I think you're right. I think you said, well known. I'm not going to take that risk. <laughs> yeah, I think the miracles were far and wide well known. 100%. His wife had a vision too. Yeah. Yeah, the guy was on edge. So Pete, you asked what... He asked Jesus, where, is he, where are you from? And he didn't get an answer, did he? So, yeah, in, why verse, was he in verse 19, yeah. what did he or write? Verses 9. Yeah. What did he write? <laughs> so he knew where he was from, or he had to ask somebody else to find or out. Or he could have meant, where are you from? So he tell me you're from heaven? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, that, yeah that, I know that's that, that, That's exactly it. Yeah, 100%. Versus, like, are you from Nazareth, or are you from Galilee? Right. Or are you, you from know, heaven? Or are you from heaven? Are you from heaven? Yeah. Do you think he was asking that? You oh, think? yes. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was scared to death. I think he was alluding to it. Yeah. Well, and this is what we were kind of talking about last week, along the lines of like sincerity and who you are and like how your loyalties play and like what path you actually walk. Like, Pilate's just looking for the answer. He's looking for it to just be right in front of him, which is what we've talked about so many times. Like, you know, sometimes the answer just can't be right in front of you. You've got to look for it a little bit or it's got to come to you or something like that. And he's looking for his out so many times. Like, I was yeah. about to say, he's saying, like, he was even more afraid. Because now he's just seeing the writing on the wall. Right. Whoa, what's about to happen? And then he keeps saying, like, shall I crucify your king? Like, how many times does he put it on them? Every single time that he says anything, he puts it on them. Because he doesn't want any part of it. But Well, and Pilate well knew who Jesus was. Yeah. He's got agents in the field. He's the... You know, he's the sheriff, the governor, whatever. He's the head yeah. dude. He's got people out there bringing him information. It's not like he's completely, you know, unbeknownst to him who Jesus is. You know, he knows exactly what's going on out there. Yeah. Now, this and guy just fed 5,000, you know, with three loaves of bread. You know, he just fed all these people with, you know, two fish. You know, they were just buckets of fish. I mean, come on, he knew. He just healed the blind guy. He healed the leper. He, he did this and... Pilate's getting all this information. He's got, well, what's going on here? You know, who is this guy? So, like you're saying, he's looking for just now. He's looking, he's look, he's looking for he's, his he out. He knows he's, there could be this insurrection thing, yeah. and so is it terrified? Uh, actually, yeah, yeah. All right, others. Who hasn't gone as far as I want to hear what you? Because there was a lot more Jews than Romans in that area. Oh, yeah. There weren't like multiple well, legions. And they Romans. totally get, and they totally get him when. They say, like, oh, no, Caesar's the king. Because then they just, like, totally loop around him and be right. like, oh. Now it's like, on me. It's a modern yeah, okay, day. Modern really, day you're going to play that card. Right? You're, like, you're, you're going to play that card. And that's back to the integrity thing. Like, you're not saying God is that. king. Right. 
Like, Pilate, you're, you're not saying like God is king, you're saying Caesar's king to just screw this guy over. He's almost like he's neutral. He just wants to know, is this guy just a popular teacher, or is he, like, some real insurrectionist? He doesn't know. Do we, do we know what Pilate's background is with respect to knowledge of the Old Testament? No. He's a Roman. Zero. He knows the he, Roman world. He's like you were saying. He he's wiped from history because he's that guy. Yeah. Let's not forget that part of the Roman Empire was a complete backwater. You know, yeah. no one cared. It probably was a was like, horrible like, job. That you know, he got sent to. Well, it was the slums. Yeah. It was yeah. the slums. It was not a prestigious place to be posted. So he's got to know something about Savior's coming. Absolutely. All right, so anyway, so who hasn't gone as far as what have you seen in here that you didn't see before? Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize how much myrrh Nicodemus brought. Like, 75 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I found it like the whole that's time. Ridiculous. Like growing up, I always thought it was like, you know, like a little box. Uh-huh. But that's like a ton of myrrh. Yeah, that's, that's a ton of myrrh. In fact, I wish, I wish Ken there. was here because Ken, you know, that guy who's here. That's a bag of cement, bro. Yeah, I know. I'm like thinking how much that would weigh. Yeah. Just have to wait and see. Oh. You just need to come I'm next week. Come here. To be continued. Anyway, I want to make sure. If there's anybody else, what? If it, yeah, what? Eric, did you see something you haven't seen? Before? I think the most important uh, verses here is um, nine. Um, Which one? Where are you from? Oh, yeah. And so. Jesus didn't answer. Right. And I believe that Jesus was assuming his authority as God at that point. Because Pilate responds and says, don't you know I can crucify you? Aren't you intimidated by the power that I have? And Jesus failed to answer him. And so that's a point of transition of him assuming the godly power that he had. And putting Pilate in its place, mm-hmm. and and thwarting Pilate's authority. Oh, no. 
and declare and Jesus declared his. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it's a sh that's where the shift of power uh, takes place. Hmm. That's good. All right. Others? Anybody who has not talked, who saw something you didn't see before at all, the crucifixion? Anything new? You see it all before I did. <laughs> well, I've seen a lot of it. <laughs> the thing that Caleb brought up. Uh, when you dehydrate plants, if you have a dehydrated plant and have 75 pounds of mm -hmm. dehydrated plant, it's a bunch. <laughs> it, it may not have been dehydrated because, um, because it, it was it supposed have, to act. They wouldn't have put wet on yeah, a dead it could, be, it could be ointment. And the aloes. So I've been around horses my whole life, and I slung a lot of bales of hay. That's about the weight of a bale of hay, and it's about the size of that table. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's about what it is. Yeah, it wasn't just that's right. <laughs> Pick it up and bring it in a jar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you're slinging and the, and the bale well, of Nick, hay or dried out. Nicodemus had to dried out. Yeah. That's about he, the same. He, he, seventy-five he, pounds is seventy-five pounds. Exactly. Right? <laughs> no matter how you slice it, whether it's a bag of cement or a bale of hay, <laughs> oh, it's no. about the same. Seventy-five pounds of gold is a big difference in volume. <laughs> well, that's true. From it's still 75, 75, pounds. seventy-five pounds of cotton. <laughs> yeah, so a, a fifty-kilo drum of herbs is like it's it's like this big. How do you know kilos. that? Because he's in the business. He's, he's in the yeah. business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your business. Different. No, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Legally. Turmeric or something like that. What kind of herb? So a Depending on the state, right? We haven't got there yet. So assumably they packed the body with the herbs before they wrapped it. Is that correct? Well, that's why the women went back. So the women, let's see. We're going to find that out as we go along. But they put the herbs on the body because the body starts to smell. Yeah, and they do that because it's decomposing. That's why they put the herbs and stuff on there. Yeah. So they used all 75 pounds of soup. Well, I don't know if it doesn't really, I don't know if it says that. But I guess that's where part of it's used from. Yeah. Anytime you see a film. Are you here next week or are you not? No, I'm, we're flying out uh, soon. Okay, well, it's good. It's great seeing you. See you guys. Yeah, say hi to your wife. Anytime you see a film showing the burial yeah. and the wrapping, yeah. it never includes 75 pounds of anything. <laughs> <laughs> He's all, not going to let it go. All wrapped, it's all wrapped tight. He might have his five tops. It's on. It's on. It's on. It's on. It's if someone breaks it up, I don't know. If I'm dealing with a dead body, I'm packing all 75 all pounds around. Right. 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 old man, too. So, like, uh, it's gotta be a pain. Dale, you're gonna just have to let this one go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, who are mine? It's a misprint. You know what? I probably have about 100 kilos of frankincense right now. Really? In my warehouse. Yeah, frankincense. Up there or down here? Up there. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I was say, bring it next time. <laughs> yeah. How does he carry it up the stairs? Like, show us the Nicodemus way. Well, it's, it's, that's probably packaged in like, uh, 25 kilo boxes. Somewhere? Well, you can vacuum seal it now. 
<laughs> I'm assuming you vacuum. Yeah. yeah. And it's and it's really condensed. And so oh, this is different so than like sticking a fork in it. Yeah. So wrapping up, we'll just get just specifically something you saw you haven't seen before. Go. Um, observing what's not there. And, uh-huh. okay. and, and you go to Luke, there. and he was passed off to Herod. And, and they mocked him there, and they gave him the very valuable robe there. And Herod said, hey, you know, I've heard about you. You've been doing miracles. So his word has spread around. Do a miracle for me. And Jesus didn't. And he laughed at him and mocked him and, and sent him back to Pontius Pilate. And also Pontius Pilate, at the very beginning, the reason he sent him to Herod, because somebody said, oh, he's from Galilee. He said, oh, Galilee, that's Herod's jurisdiction. Send him to Herod. So he tried to get rid of him there. He tried to get Herod to judge the thing. That's interesting. Which would be interesting for you guys this week. If you get a chance, you want to read something, go read the other Gospels, all of the three Gospels, and read just specifically about the crucifixion, because you're going to pick up these well, different... What, and isn't there another, I don't know which Gospel, isn't there, you guys should know, uh, where Herod, I mean, Pontius Pilate says, don't you know I crucify you? And Je- doesn't Jesus say, I could call down a legion of angels? Is that well, he said it was, it, was it there? Well, or I think that was at the arrest. Oh, is it I think it was at the arrest yeah. that he does okay. that. Yeah. Okay, so others. Anybody else before we start closing up? What's, what's the consensus consensus of opinion here at Pilate? Was he convinced that he was God, or are he just doing this politically? I'll vote. Well, I'd say, do we make a wager right now? Uh, 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 okay. like when he asked, where are you from? I think he had thoughts that he... Maybe it's not yeah. I mean, you know what's interesting about Scripture is Scripture doesn't really, they don't tell us stuff like this. It's sort of a gap. They call it gap. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And to create our own imagination, we don't really know. We don't know for sure what well, the Pilate was. Say, I believe he's innocent. Yeah, that's different, though, from believing yeah. he's God. Right. right. Yeah. But how much is he doing out of his own? I mean, look at our actions these days. You know, we can make our self interest look like very holy. And people could think, oh, you're doing that for really, really we good reasons. We reason. certainly know he was doing this politically because he didn't want to be chastised by Caesar. Because yeah. the Jews would have done. But the questions that he asked Jesus over and over and over seem to make me think that he is becoming a believer, that this man may be real. Yeah. And then he puts his yeah. I don't, I don't there's no evidence. I mean, I'm just guessing. Well, we don't. We don't know. So, yeah. Yeah, we just don't, we just don't yeah. know. It's all right. Can I okay. just... Take 30 seconds to go backwards before we read all this. Speaking of the obedience and the allegiance and all that, it struck me, you know, come on, we're all guys here. We used to get in fights, you know, we used to get our butts kicked, right? You know, that was like the fun thing to do, right? Find the biggest guy in the the room and try to take him out. Yeah, yeah, we all thought that. Sometimes you get your butt kicked, right? Okay, sometimes you get your butt kicked, sometimes you don't. Because usually you have the element of surprise. Point being, once you get your butt kicked a couple of times, you realize you're going to be a little bit more savvy in who you start picking fights with. My point is, the healthy fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is described as respect, as a healthy respect for the Lord, as that reverence. And that goes into obedience and allegiance. But it starts with a healthy fear. And if any man or any person on this planet 
thinks they're so removed that they do not have to be afraid of the Lord, then God, God bless them because at some point they're going to get their butt kicked. Okay. And if your, your ego is so far out there or your sense of entitlement is so far out there and your free will is so undampered by this lack of fear of the Lord, at some point you're going to be dragging yourself up off that floor. And hopefully you're aware enough of why that happened and where your allegiance should be after that. But you don't think Pilate was in that position. I'm not speaking of Pilate. I'm not speaking, I'm saying in general. This is just this obedience, this allegiance thing, and it comes from a healthy fear of the Lord. That's about, that's it, you know? And then through that respect and that allegiance, we develop this amazing love for the, for God. I mean, that fear and love is kind of one and the same, you know? And it, it is that respect. You can't love somebody you don't respect. It's very hard. It's hard to love yourself if you don't respect yourself. You did know you, what I mean? Did you pick up on the that's really good. Jeff's Thanks. statement last Sunday where he said, My friend C. S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah, did he catch that? <laughs> yes. yes. I, My friend. I've been thinking yeah. about that all week. Yeah. I don't have any friends I've never met. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was maybe a, a slip of the tongue. Oh, no, but no, he was, he was, he was serious. serious. I, I talked yeah. to him. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I got you. Yeah, no, I caught it. Yeah. All right. So, as we, <laughs> let's close off. Um, great discussion, you guys. I mean, otherwise we're going to be here until like noon again. I mean, midnight. Um, as you can tell, I'm getting tired. <clears throat> so, prayer, prayer, very specifically for you guys to pray for is for Rod, you know, who's usually yeah. here every Tuesday, who's, um, you know, you see him having trouble walking, we've been helping him get here and stuff, and anyway, so he lives in the French shelter right now, so tomorrow he is going in for the operation and mission, and this could really, I mean, this is huge, because hopefully it can get him back to help, which will be also help him to get out of the friendship shelter, um, so tomorrow he's going into mission, um, I'll, if I can, I'll maybe send an update out through my email once I hear something. Um, I'm waiting, will be waiting for him to call me tomorrow. Uh, I might go see him over there. So, um, anyway, keep him in prayer because this is big, this is a big deal for him. Should pray that he gets pray right now? That's what I'm going to right now. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, anyway, just wanted to let you guys, let you guys know that. Alright? Um, okay, thank you guys. I'll just close the prayer and uh, take some donuts so I don't take any on my way out. <laughs> oh, and by the way, before you, take some, I, I bought this by mistake. It's really good, but I, I was buying, I thought I was buying K-cups. There's, it's really good espresso, so please take some Donuts and espresso, set up, set up well. What? I said donuts and espresso. You're saying never out well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's 9 p.m. Ready to go. All right. Yes, Did you, you get up espresso? No, I don't know. Is to thank the Lord for bringing Jack in. Amen. Yeah. 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 Next, next week, we're going to read about Jack and, and the resurrection. And, yeah. <laughs> and thank the Lord for his recovery. Yeah. And that's a great testimony. Yeah. 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 Um, it's go a long way. Also, I think you guys heard a couple weeks ago um, the very hard news that, um, that Daniel and Don lost their baby. Um, 
and so keep Don in prayer, and I, I and even had you, um, because she's had to go through all the stuff you have to go through as a woman when something like that happens. So she had surgery on yeah. Friday, and she's still suffering from yeah. the surgery. Sure. So just pray for her healing, and really, I think, for both of you guys to go through the grief. Um, it's hard. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. All right, well, Father, we just um, come before you, and just thank you for this. I just thank you for these guys tonight, Lord, as we wrestle with uh, the event that changed history, the event that changed our lives, the event that gave us, as it says, as Paul says in Second Corinthians, it's that we are now a new creation because of what Jesus went through on the cross, that we have been reconciled to God, to have a living relationship with God, Wow. And Father, I just, uh, we lift up Rod right now. Uh, we pray that he will have a completely successful surgery tomorrow. I pray you just guide the doctors and nurses, the medical professionals, uh, guide their hands, guide their decisions, and that he will come back uh, and be able to be fully restored to health. I pray for a very quick recovery that would just knock the socks off the doctors where they go like, God, no one recovers as fast. Uh, we thank you for Jack being here. We thank you for coming tonight. We thank you for the testimony. Uh, again, I say wow. <laughs> A testimony of what um, what he has been through. Um, and may you continue to meet him. Um, and continue to develop that relationship with him. Lord, we lift up Don uh, and Daniel. And we pray for Don, Lord, that you um, will bring full healing and restoration of her body, and I also pray for that, for her soul and for her spirit, Lord, and I, we thank you, Jesus, we don't understand that, but you just say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I pray that you will comfort Daniel and Donna, and I pray for, just give a special extra amount of grace to Daniel. Yes. To give him the wisdom in how to love his wife that he's in a way that he's never done before. That she can just know how much she is loved by him and loved by you through that. So guide, um, guide us as we leave tonight. May we continue to reflect even this week on the greatest gift we've ever received and will ever receive. Which is you willingly going to the cross. So we can be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to have new life now and forever, ever more. In the name that is above all names, because you went through the cross and were raised from the dead, we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.